What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And it is that time again to reflect on the year that has passed and all the gaming memories and experiences had over the course of those 12 months. Join me as I look back at my personal stats for the year, my 10 favorite games that I played, trophy level pursuing, gamer score questing, and of course, my choice for game of the year. So let's dive right into the episode and look back at the gaming year that was 2022. Gamers, believe it or not, it is extremely hard for me to believe that we are looking back on the year as a whole now of 2022 at the end of the month of December. And to me, I mean, to be honest with you, it feels like the year kind of went by extremely quickly, not just from a personal standpoint, but also gaming wise. I feel like, man, I Halo Infinite, I started out the year playing that and Guardians of the Galaxy and I turn around and man, here we are almost a year later already. Wow. I, I can't believe it. There was a ton of great stuff that happened over the course of this past 12 months. A lot of great experiences that I've had in gaming. A lot of great things that happened within the gaming industry. Awesome announcements. Awesome things to look forward to in the coming year. But before we get into the details of my favorite games of this year, I just kind of wanted to spend a few minutes and go over some personal stats of mine. And we're going to start with how many games that I actually played over this past year. Now, it doesn't have to be games that I beat, just games that I have tried out or just picked up and played for a few minutes here or there out of curiosity. These are the total amount of games that I've done that for in the course of 2022. Now, for perspective and comparison, in 2021, I actually played 51 games across all three consoles that I own, the Xbox Series X, the PlayStation 5, and the Nintendo Switch. So, did I play less this year, match that number from last year, or play more games than I did in 21. Well, I'm here to say that I actually played less than I did in 2021. This year, I ended up playing 35 games across those three consoles. And out of those three, which console would you believe is my dominant console of choice? Well, if you listen to me weekly on my Captain's Quarters episodes, you will have no problems <laughs> realizing and knowing that my dominant console this past year was the PlayStation 5. And it wasn't just for the console exclusives that it offers. That is definitely a plus because there was quite a few of those, believe it or not, this past year. And we'll get into that here in a bit. But it was also because it became my multi-platform console of choice. And it really kind of started at the end of 2021. But man, was there no questions asked whatsoever in 2022? I don't think there was a multi-platform game that I played out of maybe Sonic Frontiers on the Xbox. Everything else I chose to go PlayStation 5. And I have my reasons for that, obviously. Again, if you listen to my show, you know the DualSense is a huge game changer for me and deciding whether or not to play on the PS5 or the Series X. So here we are, 18... Of those 35 games I played on PS5, 12 I played on the Xbox, so still a decent amount on the Xbox, and the final five I played on the Nintendo Switch. 
So 35 games total in 2022. Still don't think that's too shabby. A lot of those 12 games played on the Xbox can be attributed to Game Pass, to be honest with you. A lot of experiences and games that I wouldn't have tried that I was curious about, but probably wouldn't have bought. But because they were on Game Pass, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to check it out. So a lot of different experiences there. So 35 games played in 2022. Now, out of those 35, how many did I actually beat? Well, 35 games, eight were completed. Now, eight out of 35 probably doesn't sound like a whole lot. And in reality, it is about 24% of those games played I beat. So just about a fourth of the games that I played this past year, I actually saw through to those credits rolling and completion. And, I, you know, again, a lot of that probably because the number is skewed in a way as far as completion percentage because of the different Game Pass games that I chose to try out. And I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times when I go into a game and I'm trying it out on Game Pass, unless it's something that I really, really knew beforehand, uh, say like a Halo Infinite or a big major release, I don't necessarily always go into those games with intentions of, okay, I'm going into this game, I'm starting it, I'm starting this with intentions of playing the whole thing, seeing it through to the end. So that can kind of skew the number, but the number is what it is, right? So about 24% completion rating on the games that I played this past year. Now, when we talk about how many games on each system that was, unfortunately, I did not complete any of those games of those five on the Switch. I really wanted to have at least one uh, completion this year on the Switch, and I still didn't do that, which is The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, but we have a new year coming up, so we'll, we'll look at actually seeing that through to completion this year. But as far as between the PS5 and the Series X, two of those I did complete on the Xbox. Those two were Halo Infinite and Call of Duty Vanguard in the very first month of this year. And then the following six that I completed, those games were all on PlayStation 5. And I won't go into the details of what those six were right this second, but just know that most of these games are obviously going to be on my top 10 list here as we get further into the episode. So eight out of 33 games beaten. How many hours did I put into gaming as a whole for the year? Well, when you tally it all up, because gamers, what I do is I typically track my gaming time, my play time, my what I consider my raw playing time on my calendar, my wall calendar. I'll write down at the end of the day whatever game I played and however many hours I may have put into it for that given day. And then I tally up each month as the months end. So when looking back over the course of the entirety of 2022, how many hours was it as a whole? Gamers, 580 hours <laughs> I spent playing games this past year. I cannot complain one bit about that. Now, how does that average out? Well, it averages out to about 48 hours a month, 12 hours a week, and just under two hours a day, which I got to say is not too shabby in my opinion. It is a little bit less than what I have been used to in years past, but I still can't really complain when I'm bringing in almost 600 hours of gaming over the course of a year. Still pretty awesome. The thing is, though, is when you got a lot of games that you play that all end up taking you over 100 hours to beat, it greatly diminishes the amount of games completed because of that. But 
I still love those games and I can't help but be a completionist and try to do everything. So here is my struggle. <laughs> so 580 hours, 35 games played and a completion rating of about 25, 24%. Now, when we look forward after those base stats, next, I want to look at what is a monthly segment on my Captain's Quarter shows where I look back at my trophy progress month to month. I give myself goals every month. And I also gave myself a yearly goal in both trophy level progress and gamer score quests that I give myself as well month to month. So next up, I want to look at my trophy level progress for the year. Check back in on the annual goal that I gave myself. Did I reach my goal? And what are the specifics surrounding trophies for me in 2022? Gamers, first up, we're going to be looking at my annual trophy level progress goal that I gave to myself right at about a year ago now. And that goal was to reach a trophy level of 217. Now, spoiler alert, obviously, if you listen to my show week to week and month to month, you probably already know the answer to this, whether or not I actually met or exceeded or did not meet my trophy level goal of 217 for the year. But if you didn't listen to those episodes, then here it is. I have reached and progressed from a trophy level of 204 is what I started out January of 2022 at all the way to a trophy level of 200 and 21 and i'm 83 percent complete towards trophy level 222 so i did it gamers i met and exceeded my annual trophy level progress goal super stoked about that it is awesome to have progressed that many trophy levels 17 to be exact over the course of the past 12 months three of those trophies that i unlocked were platinum and that was out of a total of 327 trophies unlocked over these past 12 months. And that's awesome to me because, uh, you know, just a year ago, I was about a year and a half ago now, summer of 21, I was celebrating my road to 500, 500 overall trophies. And then last summer, this past summer, if you've been following me, I was doing the road to 1,000 because I was coming up real quick, just a year later, to 1,000 trophies. And then to be able to look back over the past year and say, man, 327 trophies I unlocked, and I got three of those absolutely beautiful platinum trophies to go into that trophy case that we, or at least I, love to look at and just be proud of and look back on the accomplishments that I've had in the PlayStation realm of things over the past year. So, Check back next week for my new goals and trophy level progress. Obviously, I'll set up a goal for myself annually for the year of 2023. And I cannot wait to see what that is because I still don't know what that goal is going to be yet, to be honest with you guys. And also, a year from now, man, will I be able to, again, match and exceed that goal? Now, next, before we get into the gamer score questing part of things, I do have to mention... What was my favorite trophy level progress over the course of this past year? That favorite, what I call a platinum pursuit. Any game that I declare, guys, I am going after that platinum. I will declare a platinum pursuit on my Captain's Quarters episodes and keep you guys updated on how close I am in getting that platinum. 
So what was my favorite Platinum Pursuit this past year? Well, I got to tell you, it came down to two games, Horizon Forbidden West, way back in the early days of the year, and Ghostwire Tokyo. Now, honorable mention would be God of War Ragnarok. And the reason why I did not put him officially in the running, uh, because I am still not done with the game. I have not unlocked the Platinum in that game. I do have declared out there a Platinum Pursuit for it. But as of the time of this recording, I have still not been able to accomplish that. So I wanted to go with a game that I actually was successful in obtaining that Platinum Trophy. So I look at Horizon Forbidden West and I look at Ghostwire Tokyo, which one of those two was my most exciting and my most proud Platinum Pursuit. Gamers, I have to go, and it may surprise some of you, with Ghostwire Tokyo. And the reason I go with Ghostwire Tokyo is for a lot of reasons, but specifically when it comes to the Platinum, there is just so much exploration to do. And I love the exploration in that game. And there is a ton of lore and a ton of collectibles. And just, man, all the trophies in that game, it seemed like, were tied to basically hunting down all the collectibles and doing all the side quests, which, hey, that's all good because that's typically what I do in every game that I play. But in Ghostwire Tokyo, it was such much more of a massive game than I expected it to be going into it. And then when it came down to <laughs> freeing souls in the city of Shibuya, where the game takes place, I mean, there are well over 100,000 souls in that game world that you have to, all 100 plus thousand, you have to, all of them, set them free. <laughs> and that takes some time. Let me just tell you that. And that is why I am most proud, ultimately, of it. That gave that game the edge over Horizon Forbidden West for me because that took a lot of patience on my end and also the feeling when that Platinum Trophy pops. It always feels good. But man, when it popped on Ghostwire Tokyo, oh man, there was a massive sense of pride and relief <laughs> and excitement. It felt really good to get that final batch of souls. So Ghostwire Tokyo, favorite trophy level progress of the year. Check back again next week to see what my goals are for 2023. Now, let's go check in on my gamer score quest and see how that panned out for the course of 2022. When looking at the Xbox side of things and gamer score and achievements, how did I fare in 2022? Well, we gotta start with where I started this year which was at a gamer score of 291,040. So 291,040 is where I was at as of January 1st of 22. And I had given myself a goal of getting 12,000 gamer score over the course of the year, an average of 1,000 a month, or at the very least, I wanted to crack 300,000 gamer score. You know, for me, Everybody's different, but for me, it was every 10,000 gamer score was a big deal. Obviously, every quarter thousand, 50,000, and then 
boom, that every 100,000, obviously, I, you know, I've only done it twice before now, but even still, being that close to 300,000, it was like, man, that's huge. I would love to at least crack 300,000 by the end of the year, but I would love to also be able to average a 1,000 gamer score a month and get 12,000 overall for the year as well. So was I able to do it? Well, I can tell you I unlocked 78 achievements this year, which gave me a total of 1,465 gamer score. And I don't know how quick your math skills are, listeners, but I can save you some time here and let you know that gave me a total gamer score of 292,505. So by a long shot, I did not meet either of the goals that I had set for myself, vastly off from both, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I needed 9,960 to reach that 300,000, nowhere near that. 12,000 at the very least for my average, didn't get that either. And 1,465 gamer score, man. You know, gamers, it's like I said, it's the first year that I went full on committal to PlayStation as my multi-platform console of choice. And it shows because this is actually the lowest gamer score that I have accrued on the Xbox since the launch of the 360 and therefore the achievement system itself. And, you know, I'm not mad at it. Sure, I'm right there at 300,000. I would love to tell you that I hit my goals and 12,000 over the course of the last 12 months. But, you know, it's one thing to play for the right reasons is what I would say. And what I mean there is, as I stated earlier, the dual sense is such a game changer for me and a deal breaker when it comes to multi-platform games anymore. The second that I find out there is haptic feedback and adaptive trigger and dual sense functionality in a game, I'm typically going right to that pre-order on the PlayStation Store. Now, maybe in the coming years, if Xbox finally starts releasing some exclusives that I can only play on Xbox, therefore drawing me back to that console that I can only play those games on, then I could definitely see an uptick and some gamer score progress. But only time will tell. So, didn't reach my gamer score questing goals for this year. But check back next week to see what goals I've laid out for myself in 2023 in the hopes, again, that we actually start getting some Xbox exclusives releasing for our console in the coming year. So that was my Gamerscore quest. What was my favorite Gamerscore quest this past year, though? You know, I didn't crack a 1,000G in a single game, and there were really only a few games that I would have liked to get a 1,000G in, Halo Infinite was one, but it just ended up coming down to I don't play multiplayer like that. So when choosing which game that, you know, also I officially actually declared a, a gamer score quest goal of getting a thousand G in this game. The only one that I really it stood out to me, I was like, it's got to be this was Sonic Frontiers. I did make a declaration on an earlier Captain's Quarters episode that I was going for all thousand G in that game. I'm currently at 260 G out of a thousand and it's one of those games that I have fallen in love with that looking at the achievement list, it's definitely attainable. It's just a matter of doing, doing all the side quests here, finding all the collectibles there, that kind of stuff and playing through the story. So definitely once I get back to that game, I see it as a very feasible thousand G. So that was the most fun I had going after a thousand G this past year. 
Now, next up is what I like to call my captain's log best of the year. So if you've listened to my weekly episodes, you'll know that I call my gaming discussion of my play sessions my captain's log. So here we are. It's my captain's log best of the year. Gamers, as mentioned, this is going to be my top 10 favorite games that I've played over the course of the year of 2022. Now, I will say, as I mentioned them, I am not going in any kind of specific order from, oh, this is number 10 down to number one or number one up to number 10. There's no numbers that I'm designating these games with. It's more really honestly in the order of release over the course of this past year or the order that I played them. Because again, the way that I look at this list now, the last couple years, it doesn't have to be a game that released in 2022. It just has to be a game that I played in 2022. Because as is the case with all of us, I'm sure at some time, we all come across a game in a given year that maybe didn't release that year. Maybe it released two, three, five years ago, but we finally found it and fell in love with it. So why would we do the disservice of not having that as part of our year-end look back or having it on our list? Why would we do that? Why would we limit ourselves, right? So for me, these are out of the 35 games that I played across all three consoles this year, these are my top 10 favorites that I'm going to get to in just one second. Because first, I do want to throw out a few honorable mentions, a few games that honestly could have been on this list, but for one reason or another that I'll explain, they did not end up making it. So first up, I got to bring up the Callisto Protocol. Now this game obviously was a massively hyped up Looked forward to game for me because I love survival horror. I loved Dead Space and Glenn Schofield, the director, and a lot of the development team on this game. They were from Dead Space. So I could not wait to get my hands on it. I did play the game for about an hour and a half and tried it out when it first came out. I definitely thoroughly enjoyed what I played, but I did not feel an hour and a half was enough time put into it for it to be eligible, so to speak, as part of the top 10 discussion. There was other games that I played that I put a lot more time into that I felt like deserved a little bit of more spotlight from me than the Callisto Protocol for an hour and a half. Now, honorable mention number two, we have Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time. Now, I played this game once it came out on PS Plus for free over the summer, and I was absolutely shocked at how much I fell in love with it. It was an awesome game, great experience. But again, I didn't feel like I put enough time into it for it to really warrant finding a spot on my top 10 list. Next up is WWE 2K22. Look, I've been away from wrestling games for many, many years now, and this was my first foray back into them, and I loved it. Thought it was a great experience. I got to reignite the career of my wrestler from back in the PlayStation 1 days, Iceman, and... You know, I never finished the my career mode. I never finished my GM mode. So there's a lot of other things I, I still didn't get to check out in the game that I wanted to still experience. So again, because of my lack of playtime and the lack of depth that I've had within the features and offers of the game, it kept it off this list. Next up is the quarry. Now the quarry, I did beat that game and I loved that game, but when it came time to do my list, I tried to think about the games that really resonated with me on a different level, that I put a good amount of time into, that I still feel like I'm going back to. 
the quarry, as amazing as it was at the time, I still did not feel that it held up to these other games that I have on my list. So amazing game, definitely check it out. But man, I just I I, I could not overthrow the games that I already have on this list. And the final honorable mention that I got to throw out there is Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater. And this game has been just an amazing experience every time I've sat down to play it. The last experience was the best of all. And I would love if I had just had more time to really lose myself to it and get into its details and play through it to completion and get ready for Mask of the Lunar Eclipse that's coming out early this next year. But man, I just didn't put enough time into it for it to find that spot on my list. So those are my honorable mentions of this past year of games that I played that were just awesome, but just just for whatever reason or another could not make that list. And they are, again, The Callisto Protocol, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, WWE 2K22, The Quarry, and Fatal Frame, Maiden of Blackwater. So, next up, now it is time to go through my list of my top 10 favorite games of the year. And as I stated, I'm pretty much kind of going in the order that I played these games over the course of 2022. So you're kind of journeying with me throughout my 2022. And to start off this past year, I started in a game that is very controversial probably for some for it to be on my list and taken in such high regard as I do for it. And that is Halo Infinite. You know, I started the game at the end of the year in December of last year, but it wasn't until January of this year that I just lost myself to it and really poured hours into that game and its world and fell in love with its story and the characters and the antagonists and the lore and just Halo in general again. I haven't been that into Halo in years. I thought it was the best Halo in years. I could not get enough of that universe. And it was perfect timing because the TV show came out around that time that I was finishing it up. I, it prompted me to buy a novel uh, set in the Halo universe that I read and enjoyed the first hundred or so pages so far. It just really did a lot for me. And I loved every second that I was in that game world. And I loved what little I played of the multiplayer because Halo is the one game that I typically, no matter what, Whenever there's a new one that comes out, that is typically the one game that I will give a few hours of my time to, all right, man, I'm going to try a multiplayer because of how awesome it typically is and of those amazing memories in the past that I have of Halo multiplayer. So kicking off the year with Halo Infinite, such an amazing experience, loved that game. And then I transitioned over to, by the end of January, another game that was just absolutely phenomenal and blew me away with how amazing it was, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I don't know if there's any of you listeners out there who have played this game. I hope so, because hopefully you agree with me on how amazing this game was. Look, the characters, they are characters that are very familiar to us because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the movies. But at the same time, these characters, we got to remember, started out in the comic book page and they've been adapted. So not only can they be adapted well into movie form, but now it's proven, at least to me, they can be adapted extremely well into video game form as well. I absolutely loved everything about this game. It had one of the greatest stories that I've ever experienced in a game. 
it was emotional. It was epic. It was hysterical. I mean, literally every emotion you could think of. And it had just an amazing impact on me at the time. The music in the game, I mean, obviously it's Guardians of the Galaxy. So just like the movies are synonymous with their soundtracks, this game was no different. They actually created a band just for this game, and they made exclusive new tracks for this game, as well as classic rock hits and whatnot from the 80s. It was just amazing. I loved every second of this game. The combat was fun. The photo mode was phenomenal with the emotes and the camera angles and the different things that you could do within the photo mode, the worlds and planets that you went to, the gameplay of just the exploration and kind of the Metroidvania style, if you will, of unlocking newer areas as you go through and unlock different abilities to come back and unlock new. Ah, it was just an awesome, awesome game. And Honestly, better than anything I would have expected it to be going into it. So absolutely loved Guardians of the Galaxy. And gamers, I went from one amazing game into another, it seemed like, here at the beginning of the year. Because pretty early into February, about mid-February, if I remember the release date correctly. Next up was Horizon Forbidden West. Aloy's next journey took her way out west. And man, you know, I loved Zero Dawn. I could not wait until this game came out. And I was not disappointed in the least bit by the final product. The only thing that took this game down a couple notches for me was the currency system, if you will. And when it came time to upgrade your different weapons or armor, you had to have items from certain machines, meaning you had to go on hunts to get these special drops. And I just felt that bogged down the game as a whole and the fun factor as a whole as Graveyard Gamer, good friend of the show. Check his podcast out if you haven't already. If you like mine, you'll like his, I promise. But he always talks about fun factor in a game. And in my opinion, and his opinion as well, we both shared this opinion. The requirement in Forbidden West for you to have these pieces of different machines in order to upgrade. It just really affected it. But outside of that and some issues with the combat difficulty, it was an amazing game. It was an absolutely gorgeous game graphically. I mean, the game world is just phenomenal, especially when you get to the coastline at the far west. That is just absolutely stunning. The jungle environments, the ocean, the way the waves roll. I mean, just everything about the game's visuals, character models, facial expressions. Oh, the photo mode was excellent. That allowed you to also see those details even more up close. It was just an absolutely epic experience on all levels. Love the way they took the story and how it sets up the third Horizon mainline game. Not Call the Mountain, the VR game coming out, but the next Aloy starring adventure. I can't wait to see where the game goes and the story goes. Absolutely love this series. And then we transition over into a completely different style of game for for this next game. And that is Ghostwire Tokyo. So for me, Ghostwire Tokyo was kind of a gamble. You know, it was one of those things where I saw the previews, the trailers, even the 19-minute showcase focus event that Sony held for Ghostwire Tokyo prior to its launch. And there were things about it that I was like, man, you know, graphically it looks cool. It definitely looks unique combat wise, but am I going to like it? Like there's, there was nothing about it that I saw in the trailers that just absolutely gripped me and said, yo, I have to play that. 
But there were a lot of factors, a lot of many factors, if you will, that drove me to say, yes, I'm going to play this. One of those being Tango Gameworks, the developer of the game, and my trust in them. So Tango Gameworks, if you don't know, they created the first and the second Evil Within games, as well as are run and headed up by Shinji Mikami, the godfather of survival horror himself, the creator of Resident Evil. So I loved both Evil Within games, and I trusted that the company puts out good product. So I, I figured that Ghostwire Tokyo would probably be something that I would thoroughly enjoy. Gamers, I was not disappointed. It surprised me on so many different levels between the story and the world of Shibuya. I mean, just the amount of depth that they went into and in recreating that city and the lore and Japanese history and culture and everything about it. Just, it was absolutely amazing. And the combat, in my opinion, I said it before in my Captain's Quarters episodes and in my review, and I'll say it here again, the combat in that game, in my opinion, is probably the most unique combat that you will get out of any game anytime soon. Any game, any in recent memory, I can tell you it's the most unique combat out of anything that I've played in a long, long time. And once you get it, oh man, it is euphoric when everything is clicking together. So absolutely loved Ghostwire Tokyo. <laughs> and talking about transitioning from uh, Horizon to Ghostwire, this next transition is even more <laughs> uh, massive than the previous one. Because we are going to become a cat in Stray. Now, Stray was an absolute amazing surprise for me because I always thought it looked pretty cool, you know, and the premise sounded interesting, but I thought that I was going to go into it and treat it as I had mentioned earlier that I do a lot of the Game Pass games where, yeah, it looks interesting, it's an indie title, maybe I'll like it, but I, I kind of want to check it out just to see what it's like, check it out for maybe an hour or two and never go back to it. Gamers, that was not the case for Stray. Between the amazingly beautiful graphics, the beautiful story that is told, and the way that it's told, really tight, just fun gameplay, and the environments. I just, I loved exploring the environments and the environmental puzzles, and it was just overall a really awesome game. I mean, there was a reason why the Game Awards recognized it enough to put it up there as Game of the Year next to God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring. It's, it is that good. It's an awesome, awesome, fun time. So definitely check that out if you did not get a chance to. And the next game on this list is one of those games that I was talking about earlier. It did not release in 2022. In fact, it released many, many years ago, <laughs> but it's my first time finally actually getting to it. That game was Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered. Now, again, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you'll know I am a massive Assassin's Creed fan. I even did a whole episode about the Assassin's Creed, the first Assassin's Creed showcase event that Ubisoft held earlier this year. Check that out if you're interested on my thoughts on all the upcoming Assassin's Creed games. Point is, I love the series. And when Rogue came out, I'd already gotten and moved on to an Xbox One and therefore did not play Assassin's Creed Rogue. Well, when it came out as a remaster, initially, I still did not purchase it. Ultimately, I did on the Xbox, but never played it. 
Well, for whatever reason, this past summer, I was just really into an Assassin's Creed frame of mind. Didn't really want to get back at that time into the world of Valhalla, which was the most recent game, which I do still have a decent amount of side content to play. But that's not the kind of Assassin's Creed I wanted. I wanted that classic style of Assassin's Creed. And right there, as part of the PlayStation Plus membership, Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered was sitting right there begging for me to play it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to check it out, man. I'm going to play for a few hours, see what I like, see if I like it. Gamers, I I got hooked. (laughs) I ended up dropping over 30 hours into this game over the summer. Fell in love with the main character of Shay. And the story was so good. The North Atlantic exploration, the different puzzles, the sunken ships and the ice caves and just colonial America. And there is so much to love about that game. I mean, if... uh, Unfortunately, there's way too many people that haven't played it, and I was one of those until this past summer. But man, if you're an Assassin's Creed fan, a classic style Assassin's Creed fan especially, and if you love Black Flag or even the naval combat from Assassin's Creed 3, or even Odyssey, which had naval combat, you will love, I'm telling you, you will love Rogue. It is such a awesome experience if you're into Assassin's Creed. So loved my time with it this past year. Now, next up, we have another title that's on my list that was also many, many years released, five years ago to be exact. That game was Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch. Now, for me, I've been a lifelong Mario fan, always loved the classic style of Mario games. Ever since Super Mario 64, that is my preferred style of Mario, where it's the 3D, full-on, engaged worlds like Super Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy, and obviously Mario Odyssey. Well, as I'm sure a lot of us this past year felt when we saw that first full-on trailer for the Mario Brothers movie that's coming early this next year, I got super hyped to play some Mario. So I was like, you know what? I never played Odyssey. I always wanted to. I'm getting it, man. I got to. I got to play this. Gamers, I could not have been more excited with what I played. I ended up spending my entire time that I had At night before bed and different free moments here or there on my vacation, that was all I played when I intended to try and beat Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. I loved what I played of Mario Odyssey. You know, I'm on my way to 10 hours in the game, and it's just such a fun game to play. The worlds are so amazing. I loved the lake world. It was just something about that that resonated with me i love anything water-based in gaming and i just i was floored by how much i fell in love with mario odyssey now the next game on this list it may surprise you because it is not the new game in this series that came out this year that's on the list but its predecessor so next up is a plague tale innocence Now, the reason why Innocence is on here and not Requiem, I still have yet to beat Requiem. Now, I have played through seven chapters out of the 17, but last time I checked, that still leaves me with 10 chapters to play through more than half the game. I actually beat and platinumed A Plague Tale Innocence early this past year, and it was an absolute phenomenal experience, and that's why I want to put that specific title on this list over Requiem. One, I beat it. Two, I platinumed it. And three, it is the game that just completely enraptured my soul throughout the duration of time that I played it. And if it wasn't for that game, I don't know that I would have played Requiem. 
So I absolutely love the gameplay in both of these games. It's just very, extremely well done between stealth and action and puzzles, controlling rats. Uh, there's just so much to love. And it's the gameplay is so varied. You can't help but love it. The storyline is amazing. The characters of Amicia and Hugo are just awesome and timeless. And I just can't say enough how amazing Innocence and what I've played of Requiem how amazing these experiences are. Now, next up, as I mentioned earlier, I did play Sonic Frontiers this past year. And Sonic Frontiers, that was another big surprise. I was very curious about the previews and different trailers that I had seen of it. Because, you know, you hear an open-world Sonic game, you're like, what? Well, it was no different for me. And I, something about it, I just, I wanted to like this game. I wanted to want this game. And ultimately what really sold it on me of like, yep, I got to try it out was the review that I read on IGN. And I'm just like reading it. I'm like, man, this is, all this sounds like stuff that I would really enjoy doing and have fun doing. I got to, I got to get it. Ultimately, I decided to get it. And it's, it's a funny experience for me because starting out, it wasn't a bad experience, but it wasn't a great one either. I was kind of, eh on the game and its gameplay options and the way the controls were. But I gave it a couple more tries. And over the course of those tries, by the third play session, I was absolutely in love. It was just an amazing time I had with it. I got through the first island, the first epic boss fight against the Titan. It was just amazing. And then the classic style levels where it's just all about pure speed, which is what Sonic is all about, right? It was just a perfect meshing, in my opinion, kind of like Mario Odyssey of classic and new and future. So it was just an amazing time that I've had with that game so far. I can't wait to get more into it. But that was only nine games out of 10, meaning I have one game left that I want to talk about. One game. And if you, if you know me, if you've been listening to my show and you haven't heard this game yet, you'll know which game that I'm talking about is up next. Because it's my game of the year. Game, game of, of, the, of year. the year. Gamers, when it comes to deciding and choosing for me what my game of the year is and was, a lot of factors go into it. I mean, it's got to be a game that just completely gripped my soul and enraptured me from beginning to end. And every second that I'm playing it, I'm just completely absorbed in the game's world, its characters, and everything that comes along with it. And, you know, a lot of games, I could say, did those things a lot of times when I would play them. But I can say that none of them did that on the same level as God of War Ragnarok did for me. Gamers, this game is just absolutely phenomenal on every level. Between the combat, the gameplay, the exploration, the worlds of the nine realms and the way they're designed, the creatures that exist within those realms that add to the immersion of those realms and that exploration, the puzzles, the berserkers, the... I just, I could go on and on and on on a list of things as to why Ragnarok is so amazing. Now, at the time of this recording, I have not beaten this game, which 
has kind of conflicted me with my decision-making process where do I put it on there as my game of the year? I feel it's my game of the year. I know that I have enjoyed it at that level above every other game that I've played this year. And look, gamers, I have dropped now. I've crossed the 60-hour mark, and I've dropped over 60 hours in this game's world. I'm on Chapter 15 out of 18 in the main story, so I'm right there in that final climactic run, if you will, or final stages of the game's story. And then I do plan on doing a Platinum Pursuit, as I declared in the earlier Captain's Quarters episode, after I complete the main story. So my point is, I kind of just said, you know what, there's no reason why I can't place this game. This is my game of the year. It's no questions asked, whether it's now or in a few weeks when I complete the game, whenever it may be, like it's not going to change. This was my game of the year. So it also was not just my game of the year from a technical standpoint, my favorite game of this year, but it was also my favorite PS5 game and my favorite game so far this generation. So we've had two years of this console generation. I played a lot of great PS5 games over the course of that two years. Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, Horizon Forbidden West was on this list earlier, Ghostwire Tokyo, you know, there's just a lot of games. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Demon's Souls Remake. I mean, I could just, again, a lot of options. But out of all the games that I've played that are for PS5 exclusively, this is my favorite game out of all of them that I've played so far. And between all games that I've played for this generation so far between PS5 and Series X, it's my favorite game so far of this generation. That is how good the game is. That is how much I love this game. And that's in part, is why it wins my 2022 Game of the Year Award. So now that we have my best of Captain's Log and my Game of the Year, there's still a few more things that I want to discuss with you about the year of 2022. A few awards I still have to give out, so stick with me here. First up, as we go and transition into those segments, the first one I want to talk about, it has to be, what was my highlight of the year? You know, every week on my Captain's Quarters episodes, I have a highlight of the week after my Captain's Log. What was my favorite moment that week out of what I just discussed? Well, Out of everything I just discussed, what was my highlight of the year? Gamers, there's a lot of things that could be the answer in this segment as to what the highlight of the year was for me. And this may be a controversial choice here, but for me... The highlight of the year was enjoying the pure gameplay bliss of Mario Odyssey five years after its release. It was finally, for me, the culmination of a lot of things, gamers. It was, I finally, last year, got me a Switch. It had been out for, at that point in time, four years. And then I finally, a year later, after owning a Switch for a year, finally, still, got Super Mario Odyssey And never in a million years, look, I assumed that I would like the game, but I never in a million years assumed that I would like it on the level that I did and just be that absorbed into it for the duration of time that I played it. It was just, 
absolute bliss. And it reminded me of how amazing Nintendo is. And when they put out those core games, man, they're good. <laughs> they are good. Those core Zelda, Mario, Kirby, I got into that series this past year. It's just, but Mario, there was something super special about all the different worlds and kingdoms, as they're called in the game, that I traveled to. I mentioned the Lake Kingdom earlier. There was just amazing gameplay to be had every millisecond of my time in that game's world. So for me, the culmination of finally getting a Switch and getting back to that blue and red plumber that started my love for video games all those years ago in the 80s, that was my highlight of the year. Now, looking at this next segment, we go from the high of the year to the low. So what was my least favorite moment this past year? Gamers, if there was one thing this past year, 2022, that got any more negative press or any more stirring of the pot between console wars and whatnot, Xbox versus PlayStation and all that, I can't think of anything else worse than the attempted Xbox buyout of Activision Blizzard. <laughs> and I say attempted buyout because as of the time of this recording, it still has not gone through and been 100% finalized or signed off on. You know, there's still the FTC and all these other different things that are going back and forth on why it, it shouldn't be done and why it should be done and just... Uh, you know, gamers, over the course of the past year, I don't know how many times I have seen that story in some way, shape, or form pop up online. You know, a friend of mine had even said to me towards the end of the year, you know, I, I, and he's an Xbox guy. He's like, you know, I really wish that they just hadn't even bothered <laughs> buying Activision Blizzard. Just leave it alone. Just not even attempted it because he, he made a valid point. I do feel like we were at a, a a more peaceful time, if you will, when you talk about console wars, Xbox versus PlayStation specifically, where I felt like Xbox was on an upward trend as far as getting favor back from people who they had lost in the Xbox One era. And I feel like they were, you know, look, don't get me wrong, there's still Xbots and ponies that are out there that will still keep things going forever. But I'd say on the general sense of things, it wasn't as aggressive or malicious as it was when this whole Activision Blizzard buyout thing started last January, gamers. So just about a year ago now, we have been dealing with this. So that was my least favorite moment this past year is constantly seeing the back and forth on the pros, the cons, and all the different just mess <laughs> that was started and maintained over the course of 2022 from this attempted buyout. But next up, I do have one of my favorite awards that I want to give out. And these are three different awards that I'm going to hand out. And they're called the My Controller Freak Awards. Now, if you know me, I do have a couple of Controller Freak episodes out there. The history of the Xbox controller, uh, the evolution of the PlayStation controller. I love controllers. I have a, an obsession with them. So anytime a new color or a new style comes out, I have a very hard time not buying it. So I am therefore called a lot of times the controller freak. So this year, I decided to give some controller freak awards, and they are up next.
Gamers, when talking about Controller Freak Awards, the first one that I want to hand out is my favorite design. So when it comes to controllers, I absolutely love looking at different new designs or colors or whatever the case may be. Last year, my award winner was the Xbox 20th Anniversary controller. If you know what the details are in that controller, then you know it was kind of no competition there. It was such an awesomely designed controller. So this year, out of the controllers that I purchased, let me clarify with that piece of information. These all have to be controllers that I purchased to qualify for a nomination. So for favorite design this past year, out of all the controllers I purchased, and they are the Galactic Purple DualSense and the Lunar Shift Xbox Series X controller. Those are the only two controllers, believe it or not, that I purchased this past year. But out of those two, which one wins out for best design or my favorite design? Lunar Shift, gamers. If you do not know what the Lunar Shift controller is, oh man, it is a, a brand new, more recently released within the last couple of months controller for the Series X and the Series S. And obviously it looks at first glance like it's a silver kind of color tone, silvery gray. But the thing is, the shift and its title is exactly what it means because depending on how you look at the controller or how the light catches the controller it shifts back and forth between that gray silvery color to a goldish color and that's the face of the controller the analog sticks that offset this are white with the d-pad being white and then the face buttons have that a beautiful white accented off of those as well the triggers are white and then it has rubberized grips underneath. And the rubberized grips, in my opinion, are a game changer. They make a massive difference in the way a controller feels in your hands. And I love them and prefer them 100% to non-rubberized grips. But it's not just about having the rubberized grips. It was also the design that the rubberized grips had on them. So they had kind of like a, as Xbox described it, like a moon dust look to them. So it was this kind of like a swirl of grays and blacks and whites on those rubberized grips just looks really really cool so from an aesthetic point of view it looks great and then when you add the shift mechanic to it that is awesome and just the feel of it with the rubberized grips ah it just all in all it absolutely as much as i love that galactic purple controller the lunar shift wins for my favorite design this year now my next controller freak award is most used that absolutely goes to the galactic purple dual sense i purchased it as i said back in january of this year when it released and man well it released i should say on playstation direct you had to get it pre-ordered through playstation direct to get it in january before it became available anywhere else which i did and since january pretty much throughout the entirety of 2022 that was my controller of choice now, I do still have the white and black DualSense that came with the PS5. I have the Cosmic Red and the Midnight Black. But that Galactic Purple dominated my PlayStation 5 play sessions throughout the course of the year. And my final Controller Freak Award, the award for the most wanted controller that I didn't get. And that was what I'm going to call a Celestial Green DualSense. And the reason why I say that, I just want kind of a Hunter Green style toned DualSense controller. 
I've been wanting one for a long time now. And the Galaxy Collection is what Sony and PlayStation call all these different colors they've been releasing for the PS5 since they've been doing this. So I figure, you know, Celestial Green, I can, that's galactic, right? That kind of falls in line with what all they got going on already. So that's the one I want the most. I was hoping at some point this year we'd get it. We did not. We did get a DualSense Edge Pro Controller announcement. Comes out early next month. As well as a new gray camo design. Which, honestly, I'm not typically a camo guy. But that gray camo was actually like, huh, do I want this or not? But those are my Controller Freak Awards for 2022. Now, I want to talk about what I thought was the biggest surprises of this past year for me in 2022. Gamers, this past year, there were a lot of surprises that really just threw me for a loop. Whether it was announcements or just gaming-wise, things that I got lost in as I was gaming, there was a lot to talk about and look at and kind of mull over for these categories. But first up, gaming-wise, what was my biggest surprise this past year? Well, I got to tell you, it had to do very much with Japan. And what I mean is how much I absolutely loved Ghostwire Tokyo and the city of Shibuya, as well as Bayonetta 3. And Shibuya, if you know, it also shows up in Bayonetta 3. My point is these two games, Ghostwire Tokyo first, obviously I've talked about it a lot already in this episode, but... Man, just that city is so well-designed and so richly designed. There is just, I don't understand how you can not fall in love and interest with Japanese culture and lore and their, I don't want to say fairy tales, but also fairy tales and, and creatures that have been passed down over centuries and the history of all these things and just the history of items, basic everyday items that are in Japan that I would have no idea about, but now I do because of how they, how well they were described and represented in Ghostwire Tokyo. I mean, it was just like a love letter to Japan, and I thought that was awesome. Loved it. And then with Bayonetta 3, I had no right to fall in love with that game as much as I did when I just absolutely uh, could not get enough of Bayonetta 3 and the combat and exploring the city and finding different time-altering puzzle moments. And ah, there was just a lot to be loved this year for me in the city of Shibuya and Japan development as a whole between Ghostwire Tokyo and Bayonetta 3. Now, when we talk about biggest surprises announcement-wise, I have two different things that really just floored me this past year and threw me for a loop. The first one is Silent Hill Transmission. Gamers, Silent Hill has been dormant as a franchise since Downpour, a 360 title that came out, I want to say in 2012, which is 10 years ago. So that's the last mainline Silent Hill game that we have gotten. And now granted, a lot of people didn't like it from a quality standpoint. It didn't sell that well either. I personally actually really liked that game and loved that game. Got all 1,000G, played through it multiple times to get the 1,000G. It was my favorite Silent Hill game since probably the second game. But regardless, Silent Hill out of nowhere. I mean, we've heard rumors for years, but this year we finally got out of nowhere. Hey, guess what, guys? This month in October, we're going to have a Silent Hill transmission event and talk about the future of the franchise. 
So I figured we'd probably see the confirmation of a remake of the original game and maybe a tease of a new game that's coming outside of that. Gamers, what we got was multiple games announced. A Silent Hill 2 remake and then three other games that were in development that just all on different levels attract me in different ways. So I am massively excited again about the Silent Hill franchise thanks to the Silent Hill transmission. So massive surprises coming from that. And kind of in the same vein, I have to mention the Assassin's Creed Showcase event. It was the first dedicated Assassin's Creed Showcase event ever done. It was part of the 15th anniversary of the franchise, as well as the launching point for announcing multiple new Assassin's Creed games. We got our first confirmation, a look in the details, and a cinematic trailer of what to kind of expect from the next Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Mirage kind of going back to the classic style of Assassin's Creed, get to play as Bassem before he knew he was Loki from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And man, it just looks awesome. The cinematic trailer, I typically am not a fan of those. I want gameplay as most of us do, but that cinematic trailer really did it for me. And I am very, very excited to play Mirage. But it wasn't just Mirage. We also saw Assassin's Creed Jade. We saw Assassin's Creed Red and Assassin's Creed Hexay. Jade, I will admit I was a little disappointed at first because I have said for years my most desired location for an Assassin's Creed game is either back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s India, or ancient China. Not Japan, not feudal Japan, but ancient China. We finally get that ancient China with Assassin's Creed Jade, but it is a mobile-only experience. But given what we have seen now of the gameplay, I'm like, wow, I'm actually, I'm, I'm excited for this, man. I'm going to keep an eye on this. So Assassin's Creed Jade, then Assassin's Creed Red, that much lauded after feudal Japan setting for Assassin's Creed. We finally got confirmation. It's in the works. It's the next massive open world RPG style game in the vein of Assassin's Creed Origins, Odyssey and Valhalla. That is the next one, the ne- next big one that we get in the series Actually really excited for that, to be honest with you. And then Hexay, which is actually my most anticipated out of the three, because it is something completely different from Assassin's Creed that has ever come before. And based on what looks to be tying into the witch trials in Europe and whatnot, very much hoping that it's going to be similar to a survival horror style of gameplay mixed with Assassin's Creed typical gameplay. I can't wait. I just can't wait to see the details. So regardless, man, biggest surprises, these two showcase events from two of my favorite gaming franchises of all time in the same year, both with multiple game announcements for each franchise. Absolutely phenomenal. So now my last award that I'm going to give out for this year, what did I think? I I love photo mode, guys. So what was my favorite photo mode of the year? Gamers, when looking back at this year, there were a lot of games in those 35 that I played that had a photo mode, a dedicated photo mode. And if you listen to my reviews, every review that I do of a game that has a dedicated photo mode, I have a review segment and go over the details of what I felt was good or lacking in that specific game's photo mode. So out of these 35 games... And the majority of those games, I would say, had a dedicated photo mode. How 
did I come to a conclusion as to what my favorite was? What game had my favorite photo mode? Well, I got to tell you, it was a kind of a tight race in the end because at this point in the game of the year, I have God of War has released its photo mode. So I have that photo mode now. Horizon Forbidden West kicked off the year with uh, excellent photo mode as well as Guardians of the Galaxy. So beginning and end of the year, I had three excellent choices right there. A Plague Tale, both games throughout the course of the year had photo modes. And then just Ghostwire Tokyo had some cool features to it. When all is said and done, which photo mode would I pick out of all of them as, yeah, this is the one that had the most consistency of what I look for in a photo mode? Well, gamers, for me, it has to be Horizon Forbidden West. Horizon Forbidden West had just about everything that I look for when it comes to a game having a photo mode. I love logos and borders and frames and emotes and poses and all these kinds of things. And Horizon had all those features. I also love being able to tool with the lighting and the time of day and zooming in on you know different details of certain aspects, whether it's in the foreground or the background. And camera control is huge. Elevation is huge. And I honestly, 99.9% of the time, was able to find the angle and the lighting and the pose and the emote that I wanted to get that picture that I wanted in that exact moment for Horizon Forbidden West. Other photo modes, even the ones that I mentioned specifically, I would either struggle finding that exact precise angle that I wanted or they were simply lacking features that Horizon Forbidden West had in its photo mode. So for me, the clear winner for 2022's best photo mode is Horizon Forbidden West. Now, let's look at my final thoughts overall for the year of 2022 and my grade for the year on a best of 10 scale. Overall, I felt 2022 was a solid year. I will say that I have loved my time on all three consoles this year. And I really got to expand my library on the Switch and love that. I got to try out series that I'd never given a fair shot to before, like Kirby and Bayonetta. And we also had big news all year long coming from publishers themselves, like Ubisoft and Square Enix, Konami, Microsoft, and Sony, all doing their own live stream events, as well as the bigger, more collective shows like Summer of Gaming, and of course, the Game Awards most recently. And when we looked at milestones that were achieved this past year, I mean, Assassin's Creed, I mentioned it earlier, they turned 15 and had that first dedicated showcase event. Again, Silent Hill came back in a big way with its transmission event, an announcement of multiple new games in the works. PlayStation launched its brand new tiered plus program along with its reward program, PlayStation Stars. So gamers, I mean, between the games, the announcements, the new programs and more, it's just... It's been a really fun year, in my opinion. Next Gen, I gotta say, it finally feels to me like it's finally starting to rear its head. We are finally starting to see what I feel are experiences that we could not have in the last generation. And next year, 23, it seems to be finally that year where we gamers have been hoping to get to where it that truly next-gen experiences start releasing, like Forspoken, Starfield, Final Fantasy 16, and many more games that are slated to come out next year. 
I, I just can't wait to see what 2023 brings us. You know, but most of all, as I look back over 2022, I want to thank all the developers and manufacturers that have gifted us these amazing experiences. If it wasn't for you, we would not be able to enjoy what I've been talking about for the last hour. And overall, you know, when it comes to a score and rating the year of gaming that was 2022, first, let's look back at 2021 and what I gave last year as a score. And that was a 7 out of 10. Pretty average year, if you will. A little below average, maybe, in some ways, depending on how you look at a 7 and the review score of things. But when I look at 2022 in comparison to 2021, I personally had a much better year and had a lot more fun. And a lot of new experiences came out of this year that I didn't really feel like I got out of 2021. Now, it wasn't like it was this just insane year where we had massive hit after massive hit. So I'm not saying it was a a perfect score kind of year by any means. But I will say, I feel that 2022 was good enough of a year to earn an 8 out of 10. Definitely a better year than last year. Still looking for that final transition into full-blown next-gen territory, which I do truly believe that we are going to get in 2023. And gamers, I absolutely cannot wait to see and experience that when it happens. So check back next week with my episode, Gaming on the Horizon, a look ahead at 2023. And together, we can go through and look at all the amazing experiences that are slated to come out so far in 2023. That'll do it for this year's episodes. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.